truly it is a good word from the Lord. It is a word that gives us life and hope and peace and clarity, um, understanding. It is a word that connects us on a basic level, but on a deep spiritual level with the heart of God. Um, He shows us who he is through his word. He shows us how we can follow him, how we can love others, how we can be kind, how we can know what he has for our future. The word of God is full and it's complete and it's ours to have. And that's awesome. That is awesome. I pray as a church, I pray as a body, as individuals, we do not take for granted the fact that God has spoken and then he gave it to us. Uh, I pray that as your pastor that you never let me do that either. If you haven't already, turn to Romans chapter 3, verses 25 through 31. If you've been with us over the last few weeks, you know where we are. We're in the third chapter of Romans. We spent the last two weeks uh, looking at verses 21 and part of 25, of 21 through part of 25, and um, looking at the aspects of our justification. Last week, uh, we introduced the idea of propitiation to you. Maybe it was not new to you, but it's a theological name for the thought that the wrath of God has been satisfied, that an acceptable sacrifice has been made, and that the wrath of God has been satisfied. It may have been introduced for you to you for the first time, or it reminded, it reminded you of the fact that God is more than just love, but He is just. And those are both equal in His nature. One is not more important than the other. His love should not, be, should not overshadow His justice, and His justice should not overshadow His love. God is just, and by no means will the guilty go unpunished. The important takeaways we were able to see over the last few weeks um, is that, well, one of the most important takeaway is that we have a remedy for sin. And that is our justification through Christ. But there were some aspects of justification that we talked about, and I want to just remind you of those just briefly, and I won't go into any detail about them. But what verse 21 through 25 said is that the saints who are justified, they're made right with God. This is apart from the law, apart from the law. And that the law, the old covenant, was witness to this type of justification, and we'll kind of go into that a little bit further today, that this justification is the righteousness of God. Remember, it wasn't just from God, but that it is His righteousness, that it is only obtained by faith in Jesus, that it is needed by all. Remember, all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God, and that it is a free gift, and that it is all about Jesus. The last part discusses specifically how He is the propitiation of our sin. He is the pleasing aroma. 
our scriptures today, we what we need to do today, verses twenty one through or twenty five through thirty one, is we need to seek to answer one major question. And that question is this how can God justify us and still be a just God? How can God justify us and still be a just God? Today we'll look at just verses 25, a part of verses 25 and verse 26. And we'll sort of go through the others either next week or over the next two weeks. We'll look at part of verse 25 and verse 26. And I want to read that again for you today to kind of set up where we are. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. We pray with me today. Lord, help us as a people to just relish in the fact that you are not only just, but you are the justifier of your people. Lord, help us to never take for granted the fact that it is through Christ alone, by faith alone, as a free gift alone, that we have been redeemed that we have been made right in the courtroom of God through the appeasing, the appealing, the pleasing sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Lord, would you teach us from your word today? Would you help your word to not only be something that we hear, but be something that impacts us and changes us, that we may be brought closer to you and made more into the image of your Son every day? in the precious and holy, matchless, saving name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Over the last 75 years or so, we have lived in a much different society than the world has really ever known. We live in a self-indulgent and self-fulfillment society. People everywhere are overloading themselves with work, Parents are working more than they're at home. Everyone is pursuing self-fulfillment in what is commonly known as, in our Western society, as the American dream. Many people only want to attend church if that church offers a bunch of things for them. Um, Does the music fulfill me? Is the preaching relevant and exciting And can I pay attention to it? What kind of activities are you going to have for my child? This, for a long time, has been sort of where people stopped. But we now live in a time where even people, whether they admit it outwardly, openly, or not, want to know, can you make the Bible look like I want it to look? And if it gets to a point where the Bible contradicts the views of the church, this self-fulfillment society prompts us to fulfill our 
feelings and our calling, even if it trumps the word of the Lord. This has also crept into our view of salvation. We, we now live in a time where we think we deserve the redemption that comes from Christ. We barely even question all of the sort of surrounding aspects of salvation because we just believe that we deserve it. Even if you have a good grasp on our desperation and how needy we are and how we can't do anything to earn or deserve our salvation, we can feel this way. It is, it is why we rarely, if ever, question how, how salvation from God can be a just act. We just assume that because God is saving us and we are the center of the universe that it must be right. But it wasn't always the case. For centuries, people struggled with the idea that God could be just and that could also that also God could be the justifier. Because people knew that if the Bible was right about the nature of man, and the Bible was right about the nature of God, then God could not just easily justify mankind. So there was a medieval priest named Anselm that tried to answer this question. He answered this question with this Latin phrase, cura deus homo. It means, why God became man. C-U-D-E-U-S-H-O-M-O. Cura Deus Homo. C-U-R, excuse me. C-U-R-D-E-U-S-H-O-M-O. It's three words. It's Latin and it's roughly translated, why God became man. The question being, how could a just God allow sinners into his presence with the answer being why God became man. I want to look at that answer today of why God became man. The last two weeks we've looked at justification, which is the sinner being reckoned as just or not guilty in the courtroom of God. And we answered um, some of the how questions. How is this possible? But today and next week, I want to look at the, how the sacrifice of God satisfies the just nature of God. How does the sacrifice of Christ, excuse me, satisfy the just nature of God? And that's our primary point we want to look at today. We have one point and then a few kind of subpoints under that. The sacrifice of Christ satisfies the demands of God's just nature. What we find as we dive deeper into the scriptures is that the Bible is not about us and that salvation is really not even about us. What we truly see is that God is about his glory and that Jesus is about the glory of the Father. And he would have been just as just and he would have received just as much glory if all men everywhere were condemned and he had not died. He did not owe the world anything. Now, because of Jesus, he is also just in dying for the sins of the world. And his will is that he became the propitiation 
of the wrath of God so that God could be justified in allowing men and women into his presence. Knowing, though, that God can have no place with sin and that he must punish sin, what then are some of the aspects of the sacrifice of Jesus that preserve the just nature of God? I'm going to give you some of those today. Some of the aspects of the sacrifice of Jesus that preserve the just nature of God. The first one's found in Romans 3.25. His faithful sacrifice satisfies the demand of justice through His blood. Look at verse 25. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood. I know that this subject is not something that we like to dwell on because it seems so foreign to us to discuss a blood sacrifice, especially the blood sacrifice of the Son of God. But for this first century audience, the idea of a blood sacrifice would have related on a firsthand and real nature with them. So much so that it was, reg- it was a regular theme for Paul and the New Testament authors to, in, in New Testament writings in general, to talk about the blood sacrifice of Jesus. A major truth behind our ransom and God remaining just is the pure and spotless blood of Jesus. And Christians throughout history have focused on that point. In Acts 20, 28, Paul, as a farewell to the elders of the church, said, pay careful attention to yourselves and to the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his blood. Later in Romans 5, Paul says in verse 9, Since therefore we have now been justified, how? By His blood. Much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. Ephesians 1, uh, 7, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of trespasses according to the riches of His grace. Verse two, chapter 2, verse 13. We see that we are brought near to God through the blood of Christ. And the author of Hebrews makes a connection with the Old Covenant and the New Covenant and with the necessity of the blood in Hebrews 9, 12-14. In verse 12 he says, He entered once for all in the holy places, not by means of the blood, uh, excuse me, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons um, and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God? Purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. For what this verse is saying is that for a time the blood of goats and bulls appeased God because he knew there would be another time where a better blood sacrifice would come. Not just better, but the only sufficient blood sacrifice to appease the wrath of God. We know that the blood of God justifies us and restores us. But what other benefits do we have from this perfect blood of Jesus Christ? Scripture lays out a few and I already mentioned one in Ephesians 2. We are brought near to God through the blood of Christ. We are brought near 
to God. This is new life. This is not just a new start. This is not just a better way, but this is the best way. This is new life. We are ransomed from our sins, but also from the futile practices of the law. We see that in 1 Peter 1, 18-19. We are able to abandon the old path. He fulfilled the old covenant. He was the fulfillment of that. 1 Peter 1, 18-19. We abandon the old path. 1 John 1, 7 says, It is the blood that cleanses us from sin and allows us to walk in the light and have fellowship with one another. It is the blood of Christ that cleanses us, that breaks down the barrier, that breaks down the barrier that was there previously, and allows Christian fellowship, allows unity. This is why we have a fellowship like no other. This is why we have a fellowship like no other religion. It's like we have a, it is why we should, as a church, have a fellowship better than the fellowship that you have with your friends. Simply, simply by this fact. That we are all bought and covered and united under the blood of Jesus. Which Jesus even said in his teaching to the early disciples. He said, the blood of Christ is thicker than the blood of family. They said, Let, you know, the people were trying to encourage Jesus to, to uh, minister and be around his actual family. And Jesus says, no, you don't understand. You are my family. And he wasn't just saying, we're close, fam, like we're family. He was saying, the blood, of the, the blood sacrifice that I'm about to give forth to you will unite us stronger than any familial bond. Will unite us stronger than any friendship. This is why it's such a foreign concept when the church can't function in harmony with each other. This is why it's such a foreign concept to God. Because church, your unity has been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. Do you understand that? We should, as a church, and I'm, I'm preaching to you because I'm preaching to you and I'm preaching to me, not because I think that we just struggle with this on a major level. We all need this reminder though. We should as a church be unified because we are bought with the blood of Christ, not because we're good at making friends. Not because we have everything in common. As a matter of fact, some of us, the only thing you have in common with me is the fact that we're covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. And you probably wouldn't hang out with me on a regular basis if that fact did not exist. Friends, the unity of the church, it's, so, it's such a foreign concept to Christianity for the church not to be unified, for Christians not to be unified, because we have been bought already, previously, and eternally through the blood of Christ. That unity has been purchased. We have peace with God through the blood of Christ. Colossians 1.19 you know what else we have? Colossians 1, 19 and 20 says that the fullness of God dwells in us. The blood has purchased God's indwelling. 
and God's fullness and God's riches of grace and mercy. Friends, here's why sanctification is not about you. Your sanctification, your drawing near to Christ, your being more like Him, your growing in faith has already been bought at the cross of Christ through His blood. Sanctification is not a work of man, but a work of the blood of Christ. And that work, friends, even though it is not finished in you, it is finished in Christ. And he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ. This is why we have confidence, friends, not that our past is stronger than us, not that our present sin is stronger than us, but that the blood of Christ has purchased us, and so we have victory over all of those things. This is why we cannot live in defeat to sin. This is why we cannot live in defeat to the past. This is why our present and our future as Christians always looks better than our past, because the blood of Christ has guaranteed has guaranteed prosperity in our spiritual life. You thought I was going to be word of faith there for a second, didn't you? The blood of Christ has guaranteed prosperity in our spiritual life. And truthfully, friends, He has guaranteed prosperity in every aspect of our life. Sometimes it just doesn't look like we think it looks like. Revelation 1 speaks of the fact that we also, uh, in, excuse me, getting back to the point of what we have in the blood of Christ. Revelation 1 speaks of the fact that we are made kings and priests with God. Friends, this is looking to a day where we die, where Christ has returned, and we will live and reign with Him forever. Eden is restored. Eden is restored. Fellowship day-to-day walking with God has been restored. Because of the blood of Christ, it is a certainty that this will happen. Friends, I want to tell you, we live in too much defeat because we do not claim the things that the blood of Christ has already claimed. We live in too much defeat because we do not claim in our lives victory over sin as Christ has done through His blood. We do not claim spiritual prosperity as Christ has done through His blood. Friends, there are so many things that are so certain in our life if we would live in them by faith. I will tell you, I will tell you, peace of mind is found less in your past and less in your circumstances and more in your willingness to trust the God who has victory over your life, this one and the next. Peace with God is not about your circumstances. It's not about your past. It is not about what you're doing presently. It is about your trust and faith in the God who has victory. We don't talk about the blood enough. We find this victory through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. The blood that not only washes away the sins of the world, but gives us so many more promises. So many more promises. God is just because of his 
because of the perfect blood of Jesus. He is faithful because the death of Christ satisfied the demand of justice. The blood of Christ satisfied the demand of justice. His death satisfied the demand of justice. So often we look at Jesus in ways that are not appropriate uh, for the God of the universe. We feel sorry for him. Have you ever felt sorry that Jesus died on the cross? Have you ever been like, oh, you know, he shouldn't have done that. If I were around, I know as a kid, like that was my thought. If I were around, I would have taken a stand. And as I've grown older, I realize that I'm more Peter than I am anything else. And and if I were around, I probably would have denied him three times before uh, the rooster crowed. But we we feel sorry for God. We feel sorry for Jesus going to the cross. Or in sort of a poetic way, we say, He was too good for the world. Or the world didn't deserve Him, so God took Him. Now, in a sense, these things are true. He was too good for the world, and the world didn't deserve Him. But these phrases really only romanticize the death of Christ. What the death of Christ proves, the death of Christ proves God to be just. Because when the only way to appease his wrath was to put forth a sacrifice, God in his just nature put forth the only acceptable sacrifice, and that was his son. It wasn't because Jesus was too good for the world that he died or that we didn't deserve him, although those things are true. It was because it was the plan of God before the foundation of the world to put forth a just and holy and perfect sacrifice as the only means of satisfying His wrath. And therefore, by fulfilling His plan and putting the perfect Christ on the cross, His wrath was satisfied. He is just because He murdered His Son. How backwards does that seem? We look at that and we say, how could a just God do that? And yet we still want the benefits of salvation. How could a just God put his son on the cross and yet we still want to be saved? It is man cannot be justified or God is just in putting his son on the cross. Those are the only two options. Jesus was definitely murdered by man because of sin. But it wasn't because he was weak or powerless or confused. He wasn't forced to go there. All of the anguish and all of the heartbreak he experienced was intentional and it was purposeful. God put him on the cross. Our verse today says, God put him forward. The Bible says that God displayed Jesus as a propitiation as an appeasing, appealing sacrifice so that His blood would please the wrath of God, that His death would please the wrath of God, and that we might in turn receive Him and therefore the righteousness of God would be put on full display. Jesus was raised up on the cross not just to defeat sin, but so that God's justice would be upheld and the righteousness of God would be displayed. Finally, a worthy sacrifice. Finally, a perfect substitute. Finally, a means of rescue. A permanent and eternal means of rescue for the people 
of God. The cross was God's stamp of victory. It was not defeat. So when we look at the cross, we do not look at Jesus and say, oh, what a bad way to die. What a horrible way to die. I I wish there was another way. I feel sorry for him. He was too good for the world. No, the cross is not a sign of God's defeat, but a sign of God's victory. So we look at the cross and we say, thank you for the cross. Because through it, you have won my redemption. It was through the lifted up and righteous sacrifice of the Son of God. Whereas the Old Testament sacrifice would propitiate the wrath temporarily, the display of this righteousness at Calvary would permanently appease God's wrath for those who receive Him by faith. Whereas the Old Testament sacrifices were meant to expiate or atone for the sins of man temporarily, the righteousness of Christ would expiate now and forever those who believe by faith. (coughs) Excuse me. The Old Testament covenant showed us the necessity for a vicarious substitute, a vicarious substitute through the through the scapegoat through other sacrifices whereas the righteousness of God said this is the substitute this is the one for those who live by faith the righteousness of God was lifted up to his death but why because man brought death into the world And death could only be solved by another man and by death. It was the image that we see in the garden when the first sacrifice was made. And he, the Lord, clothed Adam and Eve in that death. It was the image we take with us as we are at the cross. And we hear verses like, dressed in, or we hear verses of the song we sang earlier, like dressed in his righteousness alone. Or the idea that we see from Scripture of being clothed in the righteousness of God. His death has sealed our salvation. His death was an appeasing sacrifice to God. His blood and his death demand, uh, satisfy the demand for justice. The third thing I want you to see today, his faithful sacrifice paid for the sin of every person who has believed and will believe. will believe. This is an important factor. This is an important thing to note. This was to show God's righteousness, the verse says, uh, I think it's verse 26, first part 26, because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. Paul says he put forth, he was put forth as a propitiation, and it was to show the righteousness of God because he passed over former sins. For the longest time, uh, this was a problem for me. I just want to be honest with you. If Jesus is not a new way, if Jesus is a fulfillment of what God has done, why then were all the people, and how really, were all the people in the past saved? How were they redeemed? Why did the old covenant people not have to do the same thing as same things as I do? They never confessed Jesus, so how are they in eternity with God? Well, Paul answers that. He says, Christ, as the propitiation by his blood, shows that he is just and righteous by making his blood the appeasing sacrifice for all who would believe 
ever. Not just those at the time of his sacrifice or those after his sacrifice, but even those who lived by faith in the past. Paul says that he passed over former sins, which looking at it at first, I thought, oh, this is great. Yeah, this is right. God has passed over my sin. He doesn't look at me as a sinner anymore. He has put them as far as the east is from the west. But this is not exactly what it's saying. That is true, but this is not what the Bible is saying here. What the Bible is saying here is that God looked at the sins of Abraham in light of what he was going to do with Jesus. He looked at the sins of Abraham and the sacrifices of Abraham and that they were done by faith and he said a better sacrifice is going to come and is going to rectify all of this. Not just present history, or not just present, not the future, but will rectify even the sins of the past. Through the blood of Jesus, God is just in looking over Overlooking is what this this word is. The sins of Abraham. This is not permanently overlooking. This is not forgetting about. This is saying, look, these animal sacrifices, these systems you've put in place, because you're living by faith, they are good now. Only because there is a better sacrifice coming in the future. Do you understand how important that is? Do you understand the difference there? The only reason any part of the law was good is because God had a better just and justifier coming in the future. The only reason Abraham could look at God and believe and it was counted to him as righteousness is because God knew he doesn't operate in space or time like we do and he knew and had a plan for the best and fulfillment of the, of the sacrificial need to come in the future. Just as those men and women of faith would look ahead to Messiah... To Christ. God looked ahead as he received their sacrifices to the Messiah and through his salvation. This does not mean that God passed over these things permanently. Uh, It's a basic business transaction. This past week I needed $1,200 worth of flooring from lumber liquidators. I did not want to pay $1,200 to lumber liquidators for the flooring. I wanted to wait until the job was finished, until I was paid for the flooring. And then I could pay them for the flooring. So they have a little business credit line that I was not signed up for. Um, I am now. But I went in there and I said, hey, I need you to front me this flooring until the end of the week so that I can put this flooring down, so that I can get paid for it. And when I get paid for it, I'm going to pay you for it. It's a basic business transaction. This is what God has done. He said, these sacrifices are going to be your front. And one day, there will be payment made on earth. And he will rectify that debt. He will rectify that debt. He will pay that debt. It was a future payment, promised and sure, that was rectified by Jesus. So Abraham and his children, Moses and his David and his, to the judges and the prophet, they were saved on Jesus' account, even though the payment was to be made in the future. His righteousness was sure, so God was just in overlooking their sin for a time. 
because his righteousness, the righteousness of Jesus, would pay for that sin. He does not, however, however, overlook sin in the same way. Because the righteousness now, because the righteousness of God has come. As a matter of fact, so that there would be some clarity on this, in Acts 17.30 we see this. That in the time of ignorance, God overlooked. But now he calls everyone everywhere, all people everywhere, to repent. Repent. To turn away. To change your mindset about the way you were living. He does not overlook sin in the same way. He is patient with us. He is patient with us. He endures. Some people don't become Christians until their deathbed or to their 80s. Some become early and they struggle with sin for 15 or 20 years or longer. He is patient with us. But he does not overlook it in the same way. He says that the time has come for everyone everywhere to repent, to turn from the lifestyle that you're living, to follow Christ. One last small thing I want to give you. This is D. His faithful sacrifice makes him the just and the justifier. Makes him the just and the justifier. One last point. God is not only just in all things that he does, But he is the justifier. Like I said earlier, it would have been good for God just to be just. To have just done nothing. I created the world. We were in harmony. And you were the one that messed it up. You live with it. I'm going to leave these people to their own devices. And then when the wrath comes, it comes. He would have been just in doing that. Or he could have just wiped us out at that time, and started over. He would have been just in doing that. But he is not only just, he is the justifier. Meaning he didn't just sit in his just nature, but he used his just nature to also justify us. Dr. R.C. Sproul writes in his commentary on Romans, In the drama of justification, God remains just. He does not set aside his justice. He does not waive his righteousness. He insists upon it. If all he did was maintain his righteousness without extending the imputation of that righteousness to us, he would not be justifier. He is both just and justifier, which is the marvel of the gospel. Only in biblical religion does God remain just when he forgives people. What a father. What a savior who was completely right in just remaining just. But in his righteousness, in his goodness, in his kindness... In his love, he killed his son so that he could remain just and the justifier of those who would believe by faith. So what does that leave us? Where does that leave us? We must turn from the path that we are walking and trust Jesus. Not just, friends, trust Jesus for our salvation. But trust Jesus for our daily cleansing. Our daily spiritual growth. 
The reason is not so much because he's on our side or because he loves us or because he walks with me and he talks with me. The reason is because he has already won through his blood. It's over. No dispute. No debate. It's over. If that does not cause us to live in victory, friends, nothing will. Yes, we must repent. Yes, we must trust Him. Yes, He walks with us and He's with us like a father to a loving son. Yes, He cares for us. Yes, He wants the best for us. But it's not in a speculatory sort of sense. It is finished. To Tetelestai, the debt is paid. It has been stamped through His precious blood. The cross is the vindication of the character of God. And the grave is the vindication of the just nature of God through His resurrection. And through all of that, man can and will be saved. What a God we serve. A God who is not just just, but a God who is the justifier of those who believe in faith. God, you're so good. And no, we don't deserve you. But somehow in your love and in your kindness, you looked at us undeserving, unknowing, dead in our trespasses and sins, far off, strangers, and you saved us. Lord, it is finished, not only at the cross, but it is finished in our life. The work has been done. We just need to repent, to trust, and to follow you, and you will do great and abounding things in our lives. It doesn't mean perfection. It doesn't mean that we are never going to sin. It doesn't mean we're never going to struggle, have trials, but that we do have victory even in our trials, even in our struggles. We praise you because you're good and you're holy and you give those things to us both now and forever. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.